IntelliKey Leadership Stories with Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn or visit our website, pureintellikey.com. Here's your host, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Hello, friends, and welcome to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. As we near the end of our season two of the podcast, we're highlighting and recapping some of our favorite episodes. Every now and then, Kirsten and I get a chance to be on the other side of the microphone. And in this episode, we're hosted by Phil Palucha on his podcast, Billionaires and Boxers. Uh, What happens when you get these three podcasters together in a virtual room? We start discussing business acceleration and personal growth and finding and using your intuition. There's a golden nugget a minute, he says. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. This is an episode we wanted to share with you. Take a listen and find out more about IntelliKey, what it means, and how to apply it. Thanks for listening. You are listening to Billionaires in Boxes, the number one podcast publicist for businesses globally. Hello and welcome to this edition of Billionaires in Boxes with me, Phil Paluccia. I am delighted to introduce you to Kirsten and Mark, two people I met on the podcasting scene. Welcome to the both of you. It's yes, awesome. very excited. Yeah, it's great to be with you, Phil. We'll start with ladies first. I mean, I imagine some of the listeners will have come across you already from your own podcast work, but Kirsten, I'd love to start with you. You know, for for those of our listeners that don't know you, I'd love to kind of dive into what you do. That you know, intuitive advisor piece and coach and soul mapping and. We're onto some beautiful stuff already. I'm happy to do that. So my background is in technology and telecommunications in C-suite and burnt out very early. At the age of 49, I was done. And I've also spent my life developing my intuition, doing shamanic work. I'm a psychic medium, intuitive. You know, I have a lot of modalities under my belt. I focus on people's what really drives them and what really matters to them. And what I'm really committed to doing today is cultivating the leaders of the future and developing the skills that are needed to create a new world. And what I mean by that is where diversity, inclusion, socioeconomics, all of that, sustainability are incorporated in the essence and the being of the individual. Mm. So it then gets imparted into every area of their life, including business. So that's really my, my sole commitment is to creating the future and developing the leaders in a new set of tools. I love that. And, and actually speaking from experience, I believe that is 110% necessary too, because even the, the business owners and business leaders that I know who are quite intuitive, they're quite connected, they they kind of understand a bit more about the spiritual side of themselves. There tends to be a divide between what's going on in work and what's happening within their kind of spiritual development and actually get, providing the tools that you can then utilize that you know, intuition within your business. I mean, that's powerful. I mean, tapping into that next space is... Yeah, Yeah, it's very powerful. And also it it allows for that ability to connect at a deeper level with the individuals that you're interacting with because you have such a keen sense of where they're at and where you're at. And you can allow your intuition to guide and develop those relationships. And when you have that relationship connection you get to create larger aspects than you would by yourself, which is how Mark and I came together. 
Yeah, I love that. And Mark, and actually, that's a, a great segue, so I can under- so you can tell they're podcasters, can't you? So, uh, but Mark, I, 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 mean, I, I know of a time pass when I see one. Yeah, here it is. You go now. I uh, just have to reach my hand out and take it. My uh, job's not to drop it. Uh, absolutely, brother. So look, the, the brand innovation side of things then, I mean, looking at the intuitive piece and then introducing that to how that's implemented within the business and the brand, I'm guessing that's really your baby. Well, it is. And I think, you know, what I've done over my career is be able to look at product profiles and then say, there's a brand in there, a brand being the product plus uh, the business plus the experience. And I think that's where the overlap of what Kirsten and I's experience brings to our partnership is being able to see brands with a purpose, Mm. you know, brands that are elevating to something that we want to do good for the world. We want to do good for people. Most of my clients have been pharmaceutical companies and healthcare concerns. You know, how can we help patients? And then how can we help them get to the right diagnosis and the right treatment faster? But also, you know, I guess from a venture catalyst, and I kind of spin the word from capital to catalyze, and that is, can we give some infusion of energy and consciousness to these companies and to these brands to elevate them to another level? Yeah, I absolutely love that. And actually, although I don't usually do this, is already somebody that comes to mind that I'd, I'd love to introduce you to. I mean, my, my attitude business is a team sport. And, you know, if you, I use a lot of soccer analogies, you know, football in my world, but, you know, if you're, if you're good at scoring goals, I'm not going to go and teach you how to defend. That's pointless. I'm just going to go get some defenders who can defend and you keep scoring goals. And that's, that I think is, you know, there was a book by an Australian business coach called Daniel Priestley. If you haven't checked out his stuff, I would definitely recommend it. But he wrote a book called The Entrepreneur Revolution. And it was essentially about how we've moved away from the industrial revolution of go to school, go to college, move to the big city, get a job, work there for the next 30, 40 years, get your pension and die. You know, this is now much more about can you be a core business that is really good at one particular aspect, but you are a cog in a much larger machine. You can do this from wherever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want, rather than saying, no, we are a Boston-based tech firm that only work with these people. And you don't, if you're not in our catchment area, we can't work with you. I mean, that for me seems like a terrifying way of doing business. As somebody who has been doing business globally for over 10 years now, you know, when one particular country is having a bit of a down period, a bit of a recession, money's a bit tight. I just go and work somewhere else. Yeah, that cultural revolution, right? They are, mm. they are creating the new future. And that's, I, I also, there was something I wanted to say about Mark that I think is really important as well. You know, Mark's had about a hundred careers already and he's been very <laughs> successful at them, right? So, and he continues to recreate and create newly. But as we talk about this notion of that intuition and that branding and where we're going and creating newly, one of the things that I, I think is one of Mark's greatest assets is he really elevates others' voices so they have the capacity to be heard and seen. Like he grants this stage. Like I remember George Clooney saying the reason he worked with the United Nations was because he had any brilliant ideas. Is was mm. this, this people looked at him. So they would look at the people he was elevating, right? Makes and a lot of sense. That is one of the gifts. And I think that speaks to that team sport. And I think that's so important. I mean, it's, you know, there, there are lots of people who like to do it for themselves, but they're not very good at turning around and giving somebody a hand up on the ladder who are behind them kind of thing. Whereas I, I can honestly say that I find more joy in helping other people to kind of 
do what they need to do and get in front of the right people than I did doing it for myself. When I did it, it was a necessity for my business. Doing it for other people, you know, I get to see them go from, I don't have enough leads coming in. I'm flat broke to, can we stop? You know, I need to stop taking leads. I need to add a new product because I've sold out of this. And it's like, this is, see, this is amazing. And like, people never quite understand that. I don't think it's the, it's the emotional aspect of business. You know, I would much rather, that's why I, I personally will work with small to medium sized businesses. I do not work with large businesses. I have board level for the second largest real estate business in Africa, worked for Microsoft Asia on their HoloLens project. I've worked with the biggest and I hate being a percentage on a spreadsheet. For me, I'd much rather be the guy that's getting the text message. And I can see from both of you nodding that, you know, that gets that SMS to say, I'm not going to be around for two weeks because I'm taking the family on vacation. And it's like, I'm feeling that just as much as you are because I remember how much pain you were in. <laughs> That's right. That emotional connection is just so key. Mm, absolutely. And I think if you don't love what you do, then why are you doing it? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I, my favorite calls for Mark are, Hey, I was thinking about your business. I have some ideas like, and yeah. they're every day. I love it. <laughs> Bob with the idea generating yeah. machine. She, I love she, it. Did, she did put the call block on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stop taking the calls. Just send straight to voicemail. Uh, yeah. Enough ideas already. Well, that said though, I mean, Kirsten credit to Kirsten credit to you. You must implement them because People like Mark wouldn't continue to give you those ideas if you didn't take them on board and do something with them. Because eventually you get to the point where it's like, why am I telling this person if they don't ever do any of the things I'm suggesting? I I do feel there's a couple knocks on the doors where he's saying that. (laughs) Yeah. There's been a couple of knocks. (laughs) Well, I even accept micro movements. Uh, To that point, though, Phil. I think, you know, we have a chance to talk to so many leaders on our own podcast that have talked about their background, their feelings and their, you know, emotions. But then they take it to the next level and they say, and here's how I put it into practice. Yeah. You know, and here's what I do with it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you were even sharing with us, you know, you have a three point, uh, three part daily routine and ritual and commitments. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, all the leaders we talk to say, this is what built me as a person. But Mm -hmm. now here's how I apply it. And I I just think that that's that's a great trait in any of us, both in business and in life. So a business that says I stand for these things and they put a plaque on the wall with their 10 tenets of, you know, uh, accountability, responsibility and sustainability. But Mm -hmm. then you turn around and you're like, but what are you putting in the water? What are you putting back in the earth? Uh, What am I supposed to do with this after it, it burns out? Then they really haven't put all that into action. And I think that that's what people these days, consumers these days, are looking for that. What's going to happen after I use your product? You know, that end of life for the product is what a lot of people call it. Well, a lot of people don't really take the whole, how would you call this, kind of like a a moral stance, the ethical stance, and it's much more about the marketing. It's like, what can we say that's going to make us look good from a marketing perspective as opposed to a what are the ethics and morals that actually – it doesn't matter if other people wouldn't go this far. I'm not doing this because it doesn't, it doesn't feel well, right. right. It's got to be on page seven of my annual report <laughs> because we have a sustainability yes. section now. Well, yeah. yes. okay. That, that's great. <laughs> right. And I love my favorite. This is my pet peeve. You just like, you hit one of my trigger buttons, right? My favorite are when you're looking at companies and their marketing shows, female leaders or, you know, multiracial on the front, but then you go look at their leadership. 
all white men, right? Yeah. All white men. And you're like, that was just a picture to, to put your money where your mouth is and put your feet where your mouth is. Right. Yeah. Like you have to be it. It's not just, 100%. it doesn't matter. Like I'm t- the flash is so overrated. Mm. But that also, that almost makes it worse, doesn't it? Because it's kind of like you've recognized that you need to be doing more about this inequality to upload the images, but you don't actually want to do anything about the inequality. Right. You just kind of want to change right. the way it yeah. looks. The only people that benefited were the stock photo companies and the models <laughs> that, you know, that were in it. But I think to Kirsten's point, the, the action is coming and we've attracted the leaders to the interviews that we've had. But we, we've begun to see this pattern of putting the money where the mouth is. We even asked one of our guests, Erica Ufendel, who is a director of a global conscious branding leadership kind of association. And she said that they are doing the studies now to show that the companies can profit more. There's a financial incentive. It's not a disincentive anymore. It's not going to be a higher cost. It's not going to put you behind your competition. In fact, you've got to treat the people right, treat the world right, and you will win, you know? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Have you you ever met uh, Bertine Crevacore West? No. I must introduce you to her as well. She owns a business called Global Fluency. She is an inclusive coach. She helps businesses to understand how to get more inclusive when it comes to race and kind of understanding different groups and being able to move into new markets, both in terms of the workforce, but also in terms of the customer base. And I love that because, you know, given what she did, I was quite nervous to speak to her. I thought, oh, I'm not very politically correct. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm in a, a, a mixed marriage, so I kind of use the thing of my wife's Indian, so I'm just, I'm allowed to say this. Um, <laughs> so, so whenever I say something ignorant, that's my excuse. But I, I loved her attitude towards it, which was so many people are afraid to say the wrong thing that they never actually ask the questions. And that doesn't help with inclusion. You know, the way that you get to know somebody's culture is to ask questions, ask them things. But if you're always terrified to ask, we're never going to move any further forward. Businesses are never going to be able to take that next step and do those things because they're afraid to ask the questions that they need to ask to make that happen. That's uh, so provocative. Kirsten, I think about, gosh, at least three guests who have told us about asking questions, like literally going on the other side of the barricade, you know, at a protest march or going to another side of town. I think of Pastor CJ who said, we're more segregated on Sunday mornings in churches than we are at our companies. Mm-hmm. So he's like, get Absolutely. up, go to the other side of town and go to another church where somebody of a, another race, another belief, another creed and ask questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and literally in the nonprofit world, I think of Valerie Leonard, Kirsten, who said, you know, she she's trying to build nonprofits in her neighborhood, you know, on the west side of Chicago with underserved, underdeserved, underfunded nonprofits. And people won't help out because they're not willing to go outside the neighborhood to ask for help. Anyway, it's just very interesting. This inquisitive side of us has to come out. We have a lot more in common than we have that separates us. The problem is we we, we don't ask the questions to discover that. I mean, I, I remember I moved to South Africa and I've I found South Africa quite strange when I first moved there. I was dating a, a South African Indian. I was a white British guy in a country that had only said goodbye to apartheid 20 years earlier, something like that. There's still signs. There's still, that's the white area. That's the Indian area. That's the black area. And it's like, what? 
like you still have different areas like can i so can i not rent there and it's like well you'd be advised not to and it's like what does that mean? Like, you, you know, <laughs> I went to museums and stuff and saw whites only beach signs and stuff. And it was incredible. And then you, when you start talking to people and, and they, they feel exactly the same about you, what does this white British guy know about? I, I'll have nothing in common with this white British guy. Then we live 9,000 kilometers apart. It's not going to happen. And then we start talking and sometimes it can be, I mean, for me, it's, it's often sport. So I will suddenly find that the second I start talking about Liverpool, I've got my own little group around me and, and color at this point and race and, and age and sex really that doesn't matter um, because we're talking about something that we all have a shared passion in. And before you know it, we've gone three or four hours talking about something and we've got to know each other and we're trying different foods. It's like, so why don't you guys eat that? And it's like, well, because of this, this and this is like, actually, that suddenly makes loads of sense. I, I often go back to this thing and my, I, I say it to my wife all the time and she she finds it really funny. <laughs> there was a documentary in the UK done probably about five or six years ago. And it was talking about the English Defence League, who are basically our very, very right wing. I don't even think they're a political party, just a right wing group. But they were getting more, more. Yeah, just this group. All they had to do is get all they had to do is get drunk and go on marches. I never see them do anything else. (laughs) But I remember watching a documentary about them, and one of them said, "What do you know about Muslims? Like, why do you hate them so much?" He said, I don't know anything about them because I don't understand why they don't just come down to the pub and have a drink with us. And it's like, because they don't drink alcohol, so they're not going to come down to the pub and have a drink with you, are they? I mean, there's problem number one. If you're going to dislike them because they've not come for a beer, we've got a problem. <laughs> but it, it was just that kind of a, it was so far apart that he didn't understand why. Well, if they want to be included in our community, they should come to the pub and have a beer. And it's just the level of ignorance was shocking. And it was like, well, actually, if you sat down and spoke to these people, they'll go to work just like you. They've got a family just like you. They've got to put food on the table just like you. They get stuck in that traffic jam just like you, you know, and we're all dealing with the same stuff. But I also think about these institutional actions, Mm. these commercial business actions. This is what we're really talking about with a lot of the leaders uh, that we talk to. Mm. And Kirsten challenges them to say, yes, individual action. But what about in the boardroom? You know, and this goes to back to your just right or wrong in the gut. You know, your intuition can tell you. I don't need the data from Al Gore or anybody else on climate change to tell me, (laughs) you know, if, if this is going bad. But I do need to say, ah, is this right that we keep putting perfectly good water in a terrible plastic bottle that we can throw on the side of the road that will end up in the ocean? Mm -hmm. And every time I see those amazing pictures of these giant pools of plastic in the Pacific Ocean, I go, or the beach on Mumbai, I, I don't even know what to think of this quantity of the problem. So I I think it's in the boardroom where we say, you know, if I can make this packaging different, if I can, you know, make a cleaner and a tablet that you, you know, can dissolve in your own water at home instead of shipping a bottle of water to a Walmart to put on a shelf. These are examples of larger business ripples that can be created by true leaders. And then we as consumers can put pressure on them. But it's the board members who have to make that decision. Yeah, and I'm going to add one thing to that. It's the board and the shareholders, right? Because yes. Erica yeah. pointed yeah, that okay. out, yeah, yeah. right? The board can change, the C-level can change, but the shareholders dictate 
what occurs, right? They have mm. truly have the voting power. And one last thing I want to add, we had a guest on from Japan, Takatoshi, and he really was clear. You can't just eliminate straws because there's an, an entire value chain of economic reliance on that. So when you're eliminating something, it's incumbent upon the economic advisors to really look who's going to be impacted by that. Because, you know, that person in the rice paddy in Japan and that place may rely on that five cent an hour job Mm -hmm. to feed his family, even though it's killing the environment. When we're making these at an institutional level, we have to look at the entire value chain that's impacted and creatively come up with a new solution to address the whole. Yeah, you can't just treat the symptoms. That makes a lot of sense. And and actually, how many businesses try and do that? They just try and treat one part and they kind of forget all about the supply chain. A great example of that would be plastic carrier bags. Mm -hmm. I mean, the supermarkets started to try and bring out Bag for Life, which I a big fan of i like that but you can still get the the horrible plastic carrier bags they just now make you pay for them and it was like you kind of got the point but not so we realize that plastic bags are bad so we're going to keep producing them and giving them to you and now we're just going to charge you 10 cents a bag it's like how about we you charge us 50 cents a dollar a bag but make sure it's biodegradable how about that we'll all just and just get rid of them completely why do we still have them Well, and this is to Kirsten's point about rethinking the whole supply chain. You know, it's great that I can go in a TV store and get a, you know, 51-inch TV for $300. (laughs) How is that even possible? It's awesome, huh? To get it into (laughs) (laughs) That's a good football game, isn't it? That's a good game. I was like, wow. But then, you know, back that up and say, like you say, all the way to Vietnam, where they're now making that TV. Are you just going to pull that job out after all those years of building it up? And what are you going to replace that with? And so, you know, you go to TVs, you go to sneakers, you go to clothing and everything else that we've created a global economy around Mm. and a global supply chain that needs to be rethought. I agree completely. But, you know, when you look at stuff like that, you have to think if we change it, it's going to be job creation too. So there's going to be new opportunities. It's not just going to be getting rid of opportunities. So that guy who makes the plastic carrier bags for Walmart, why can't he make biodegradable plastic? Sorry, why can't he make biodegradable bags? Why can't we give him that contract instead? You know, for me, it doesn't have to be an an instead of, it can be a, you know, you don't have to get rid of that person. Let's just change it up and say, okay, look, we're going to now be charging this to customers, which is going to give us extra budget. Let's renegotiate your contract so that you can be providing us with these biodegradable bags instead of these awful things that are killing the oceans and the fish and, yeah, and everything that's, else. That's the big idea. Uh, yeah. we, we keep mentioning your podcast, actually. How can people find your show? Like, How can people get in touch with what it is that you're doing? Because I'm sure they're going to want to after this. Yeah. So the name of the podcast is IntelliKey Leadership Stories. And IntelliKey, it won't be hard when you search your podcast platform to find the word IntelliKey, but it's E-N-T-E-L-E-C-H-Y. What is IntelliKey? And, and so IntelliKey, I'll let Kirsten give the further background to it, but it is this idea of achieving or reaching your full potential, your soul's purpose that's like already that. built into you. Kirsten, maybe you pick it up from there. It's an Aristotle in philosophy, uncovering how do you achieve one's soul potential and then, you know, amplify that into the boardroom. 
how do you achieve the company's potential? So you can take that in Kitelaki and insert it into everything. And yeah, the first time we ever had coffee, Kirsten says, well, my company is pure IntelliKey. Can we do a podcast? I go, well, first I got to run to the dictionary. I'm going to find out what IntelliKey means. And then once as she described it, Aristotle coined the term. He's put it in his own books, this book on the soul. And, and you read it and it's nature-based even, that mm. fl- a flower is already in the seed and doesn't need to be told, hey, you need to be a flower, you know? So they, true. The bird is a bird in the egg, you know? And so it becomes a bird. And we've all heard the, the caterpillar to the butterfly and all that. And so, you know, nature has its way of saying, this is your purpose and your potential. Now it's up to us. We have to water the seed. We have to give the seed, you know, it's full, uh, good sunlight, you know, good environment. Then we'll grow into our full potential. I love that. Really now, as, a, as it relates to a podcast, I mean, what inspires us is we get these leaders behind the microphone and they say, you know, I always thought my potential was this. I took a few detours in life. You know, I went over here and worked here for a while. I'm sure you can relate to this, Phil. Oh, I've done for sure. This, I've done this job and that job. And finally, I said, what am I doing? This is what I, this is my calling. This is my purpose. And I built a life and a business and whatever around that. And then surrounded myself with the people I needed uh, who would support that purpose. Well, what's interesting for me is I, I took many paths to try and find my purpose. But when I look back, even though to anybody else, they might seem really random, like all everything that was going on just seemed really random. There was always like a, a core thing that ran through every single aspect of what I was doing that I, that I loved doing. So I'll give you examples. I was going to be a soccer player. That was going to be my career. End of, I was playing professionally from the age of six. I was played in the UK until I was 16, and then I moved over to Central Europe and was playing over there. That was me, right? But I was a winger. So my job was to put the ball in the box so that other people could score. That was essentially my job. Now I scored some goals myself, but I, I used to enjoy my job. My job was supporting other people to be amazing at what they did. So if you're a great striker, do me a favor, just go and stand over there and I'm just going to keep giving you the ball and we're going to win, right? That's, that's how this is going to work. Then when I got medically retired, I went into surveying. And that surveying led to, you have a big project, I'm a surveyor, I'm going to make this as simple as possible for you and give you back the equation of X amount of glass plus X amount of bricks plus this, this, and this is going to equal your thing. Why? Because I was trying to take your dream and turn it into a reality again and put some meat on the bones and say, here's the roadmap. Then I went into executive search and recruitment. And the bit about that that I loved was helping people unlock the careers that they wanted to do. And then I got fed up with that. So it was always supporting other people to become better at what they did. And then with the podcasting element, that you know, TV, podcast, radio, all of it was about how can we help people to have a stage? Because actually so many people out there that should be the industry leaders no one's ever heard of. And the people who are at the top of the industry are there because they were good at marketing and Facebook ads, but they really don't have that much value to add. How many inbound leads are you getting? Oh, we're not. And it's like, you've got to have three ingredients for somebody to do business with you. Know, like, and trust. And if you're not getting an influx of inbound leads and people coming to you, then at least one of those three ingredients is missing. And what I found with podcasting and TV content was it was the best way of getting, of sorting those three things. You know, it's, they know this podcast host. I'm going to put you on the show and now they know you. We know what questions they're asking. So you're going to go on and add value, which I love, by the way, because it's like the opposite of normal sales. Normal sales is 
buy my crap and I'll give you some value. You know, podcasting is I'm going to give you some value so that you'll buy my stuff. I love that. And then the trust aspect comes from now you've they know you because you've been on the show. You've added actionable advice to them and value so now they love you. Now they've got to trust you. And if they can go on Google and see articles about you in a number of podcasts and keynote speaking gigs of all these different people across the sectors, you've taken care of that piece too. And I feel like I found my home with this. Like yeah, this will terrific. keep growing from podcast to television because we're doing more and more TV work now for other people. But I always say the same thing. Not everybody should have their own podcast. Even fewer people should have their own TV show. <laughs> so true. <laughs> I have... But- Thoroughly what, enjoyed having you. Both what a on. wonderful conversation. And really, really appreciate you letting us tell the story of the podcast, because we just get to talk to so many wonderful people, uh, including yourself, that encourage us and inspire us to keep going. Oh, you must. You absolutely must. I think it's, it's such important work that you're doing. I think more people should know. In fact, I've written down three guests I'm going to be sending your way for your podcast pretty shortly anyway. Thank you both so much for being here. How could, once again, how can people get in touch with you? How can people find the podcast? What platforms are you on? Let's end yep. up with that. Yep, we're on all the major platforms. So wherever you get a podcast, IntelliKey Leadership Stories, and it, you might even search our name, Mark Stenson and Kirsten Gouldy, you'll find us there too. Absolutely perfect. I will put a link in the description below as well as a link to both of your social media pages. Thank you both once again. We've got to do this Thank again. Thank you so much. Yes. Thoroughly Thank enjoyable you. conversation. I jokingly said beforehand that we could go full Joe Rogan with this. And I think we probably could. We could have gone for several hours. So <laughs> Thank you both so much for being here. We'll definitely do this again. Everybody listening, take care of yourselves. Stay safe out there. And, and until next time. This is Billionaires in Boxes. Attracting our tribe with our vibe. And listeners continue to come back to our podcast. Even in our next episode, we'll be continuing conversations about this conscious leadership and this idea that you can fulfill your own potential and achieve your own goals while doing good for the people and the planet. Kirsten, as we continue this conversation about IntelliKey, we have a sense that this is not just a key performance indicator like we tease each other about, but it really is a human potential indicator, isn't it? It really is. And it's so exciting. You know, you and I have talked about this idea of potential. Everything has a soul. A business has a soul. The earth has a soul. And even Lynn, being in a conversation with you, that you can feel that something about the soul of what's coming is being elevated. There's an evolution that we're stepping into and it's being harnessed. And it's exciting because it's it's here but we haven't quite unfolded yet exactly what it's going to look like in the future. So listeners, please join our conversation. Go to your podcast player and leave us a review or comments or ratings. We'd really appreciate it. And of course, then join us again for our next episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. For Kirsten Gouldy, I'm Mark Stenson, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to our second season of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. Your host is Kirsten Gouldy with co-host Mark Stinson. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. You can listen anywhere in the world, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Ghana, and iHeartRadio. Subscribe now so you won't miss an episode when we begin Season 3 of IntelliKey Leadership Stories.